I'm in the middle of a series on emotionally healthy relationships, and this series is stolen shamelessly from Peter and Jerry Scazzerzo's groundbreaking work, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and Emotionally Healthy Relationships. I cannot recommend Pete Scazzerzo enough. One of the faults of the evangelical church in America for many years has been discounting us as emotional beings. I don't know about about you. My father-in-law puts it this way. He says, even though human beings are capable of rational thoughts, emotions are what drive them. And my father-in-law is not wrong. So for a long time now, my daughter Jillian, my daughter Jillian has called me by a nickname. It's not dad. It's not daddy. It's not pops. uh, It's not even father. Now, that's what Madeline uses when she needs something like a drive through Culver's meal delivered to her. I will get the father, <laughs> and I know a request is coming. No, Jillian's nickname for me is Spock. Hey, Spock, how's it going? I've mixed feelings about this nickname, but it, it's stuck, and for good reason. Now, for those of you that don't know anything about Star Trek, and that's basically everyone in the room but me, I need to explain some things. So Spock in the Star Trek universe is is a Vulcan, and Vulcans purge themselves, supposedly, of all their emotions. And so Spock is born to a Vulcan father and a human mother, which makes him a half-breed. And when he's a kid, he is ridiculed, he's mocked. These little Vulcan children beat the snot out of him. They torment him. He has a horrible childhood because he's a half-breed. And when he gets to high school, he has the highest score that's ever happened, and yet the Vulcan Science Academy denies him. Why? He's half human, half human. And so um, Spock, in order to be Vulcan, he does this thing where on the outside, he's logical and calm. One of the classic Spock traits is chaos is happening, and everybody's like, ah! One eyebrow goes up, and he simply utters one word. Fascinating, right? Calm, right? But here's the thing about Spock. There's a lot going on inside. There's a lot going on beneath the surface, which is why I love the 2009 reboot where old Spock travels back in time and meets the younger version of himself. And the two Spocks together watch the destruction of Vulcan, their home planet, And young Spock is trying to command the Enterprise to beat the bad guys and solve the problem. And old Spock says to Kirk, who's wanting to take command of the Enterprise, he says, I can assure you, I've just watched the destruction of my home world. I am emotionally compromised. And I know the young man in charge of the Enterprise right now, and let me tell you, he's emotionally compromised, okay? There's a continuum when it comes to being emotionally compromised. There are those of us who over-regulate. There are Spocks in this world. They take all of the big emotions, the negative emotions, and they stuff them deep down inside, and they try to remain calm and cool and collective. And then on this continuum of emotion, you have chaos. If I feels it, I express it everywhere, all over the place. It's like, it's like a giant tsunami. There's no regulation at all. So there's either over-regulation or under 
regulation, okay? And, and this is what happens. Now, uh, one of my relationship issues over the course of my life has been over-regulation. I took things that I was feeling and experiencing and then, and I stuffed them deep inside, and I pretended it wasn't there. <laughs> I pretended it wasn't there. Um, now, I've been on a journey in the last five, six, seven years, right, where I've been trying to do that. Some of you have even commented to me, Pastor Max, like, you freely give hugs now. Like, this is different, new, and strange, right? Like, so that's part of that growth. My journey, by the way, has been an example of what all of us face in life, and it's the principle of the iceberg. Again, taken right out of Peter and Jerry Scazzerzo's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. This is you and me. We're like icebergs, and the principle of the iceberg works like this. You see a little, little, little bitty, tiny bit above the surface of the water, and then there's a big mass of stuff beneath the water. Years ago, there was a famous ship. I'm the Titanic, and I'm crossing the Atlantic Ocean, and I'm unsinkable. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, look, there's a little iceberg. <laughs> blurp, blurp, blurp. Final score, iceberg one, Titanic zero. Okay, that's how this works. Now, when you're encountering people and you're running into people in life, what you're seeing is the 10%. You're seeing their actions, their facial expressions, their body language, how they behave in certain circumstances, but you're not seeing the 90% that lurks below the surface. All the emotions and the feels, as the, my young friends like to put it, um, childhood trauma, stuff that happened to us, emotions, the way we see ourselves in the world, the hidden complexities of the human heart. Now, here's the deal. All of us, not just me, all of us are emotionally unhealthy in some ways, okay? God wants to change that, which means God wants us to become emotionally aware of what lies beneath the surface. Now, if you hear today's message and all you think is this, man, I need to send the link to the sermon this week to my sister-in-law in Des Moines. Holy cow, has she got a crap ton of stuff beneath the surface and she needs to go see a therapist. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send her a link. Click, share. Like, if that's all, like, if you walk away and the only thing that you think is, man, I wish my wife, my husband, my mom, my dad, like, I wish was here to have heard this message, you're missing the point, <laughs> okay? You have stuff in this 90% area that needs addressed. You do, you do. Now, unfortunately, most of us are unaware of the 90% that lurks beneath the surface. We don't see it. We ignore it. We explain it away. We argue with our husbands and our wives with family members and with friends. No, no, that's not going, like we argue about what's really real and what's really there. So today I'm asking you to do something that's hard but simple, become self-aware. Make a decision today that you're gonna start a journey to become emotionally self-aware. And being emotionally self-aware means that you know and understand your emotions. Being emotionally self-aware means that you know and understand your emotions. Now, why are we talking about this? Because Jesus was once asked, what's the greatest commandment? Hey, Rabbi, we've memorized 613 of them. Could you kind of condense it a little bit? What's the top 10? Like what, you know, 
And Jesus says, oh, simple. Love the Lord your God with everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot give and receive love in ways that God designed when you are emotionally unhealthy and relationally unhealthy. It becomes very difficult to love well. Now, there's this myth that people like me, the Spock people in life, there's a myth that, that we tend to believe, and that myth is simply this. Unprocessed emotions eventually die off. If I take all of this emotion and these feelings and I stuff it in here, eventually it'll just, you know, rot away into nothing. You're chuckling. So let me get it. Let me, can you do a ha, ha, ha laugh for me? One, two, three. So I'm going to make this statement and I want you to respond accordingly. Why, if I just take the uh, unprocessed emotions and stuff them deep inside, they'll just disappear into nothing. Okay, good job. Good job. In fact, unprocessed emotion usually becomes something like cancer on the inside of you. It just grows and it takes things over and it comes out in unexpected ways. Previous generations of Americans... Uh, did not know how to handle or process emotions. So the, the older generations of Americans were told, if you have a negative feeling, don't express it, don't share it, don't tickle it out. Like, you deny that. You stuff that in. You keep it to yourself. And so there's a reason that a lot of 1950s and 1960s housewives in America were on volume, right? Because there was a lot of emotional stuff that just couldn't get rid of, <laughs> wasn't being dealt with, and so they had to drug it. American men, American men are particularly susceptible to denying our emotional inner world because we're told things like this, don't cry, take it like a man, uh, be strong, don't be such a baby, tough it out, shake it off, come on, Marine, get your head in the game, hoorah, right? Like we're told these kinds of things. And so, there's a lot of American men who have all this stuff going on and they're trying to deny that it's there. And so they're living this un inauthentic life, this very unhuman way of living. And if it weren't bad enough, I want to throw churches under the bus for a moment because I grew up in one. Churches in America uh, mistakenly gave the impression to a lot of churchgoers that some emotions are good and some emotions are bad. So if I'm happy, that's good. If I'm sad, that's bad. Turn that frown upside down. We're in the house of the Lord today. And, and so, you know, even though you might come in through the doors, and you're like, no, I need to sit in ashes. That's what I need to do. Where's the ashes part? Like, <laughs> why can't we have that more than just the week of Holy Week, right? So uh, American churches have done that where they've uh, said, well, you need to be happy, not sad. You need to be peaceful, not mad. You need to be grateful, not disappointed. You can't feel disappointed. Christians aren't disappointed. God doesn't disappoint. I'm like, well, you feel those things sometime, okay? So this way of living that I've just articulated, this is not helpful. This is not biblical. This is unhealthy. And it's most decidedly not like Jesus. Now, I happen to believe that Jesus is God. Many of us in this room believe that Jesus is God. Jesus is fully God and fully human. Fully God and fully human. And so I want to make a case today that Jesus is emotionally self-aware. I'm going to do something I don't typically do. I'm going to be in a number of different passages today because my goal today is I want you to have at least a moment where you're like, 
ah, okay, yeah, Jesus is emotionally self-aware. Like, <laughs> okay, so that, that's my goal today. Jesus is able to acknowledge and express what he's feeling in appropriate ways. And so Jesus is so much more human than so many Americans I know. So the first thing that I want to put a stake into the ground is that Jesus felt anger. Jesus actually felt anger. If you grew up in a church tradition where you were told being angry is wrong, it's always wrong to be angry, Jesus is fully human and fully what? Oh, and he was angry, and he was angry in the pages of the Bible. So in Matthew chapter uh, 23, he goes on a bit of a tirade, and he says this, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So Practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, hypocrites? You shut the door of the kingdom of God in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves, and you don't let others enter either. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you cross land and sea to make one convert, and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell that you yourselves are. Can you kind of feel the anger in these words on the page? Okay, right? So Jesus was angry and expressed it in appropriate ways. Now, because we're Americans, we like to find all kinds of new creative ways to do things that maybe aren't so appropriate, okay? And so I want to just highlight three ways that we tend to do, express anger that is inappropriate okay so the first is displaced anger my boss has been on me and my team we're not meeting our quotas we're not this we're not you know brrr. my boss is just tearing into my, me and my team all the other teams my boss is like you're great you're awesome and so i'm mad i feel this is very unfair that my boss is singling out my team the quotas are the same all the way around why am i being singled out why is my team being singled out so i'm mad about it i'm upset about it i don't talk to my boss but i'm at mcdonald's with my family and my three-year-old son knocks the, the sweet tea all over the table and all over me and in that moment i turn into angry bear and my son receives all of the fury that really I'm upset with my boss, but who's catching it? My son, displaced anger. Happens all the time. By the way, I've done it, okay? Uh, passive aggressive. I'm angry with my mom. My mom just treated my sister and her kids to Disneyland. She's got two kids, I've got two kids. There's been no such offer to go to Disneyland on her dime for my kids. They spent a whole week. They stayed in a Disney resort. They all got sweatshirts. And I'm hearing nothing from mom. So I, I'm mad at my mom. I feel this is unfair. I'm not talking to her. But every time that my sister calls, I'm like, must be nice to be mom's favorite. I wouldn't know what that feels like. Passive aggressive. <laughs> okay. That's what that looks like. Also, I've done that. Okay. Sarcasm. Sarcasm is when we say something and what we're saying is the opposite of what we really feel. So for example, I, my husband promised he would fold the laundry and put away the dishes. I come home from work, guess what? The laundry is not folded, the dishes are not put away. And so instead of calling him out on the carpet about it and doing the confrontation thing, I fold the laundry and I'm in the middle of putting away the dishes when in he walks in the room and he says, oh man, 
I'm so sorry, I should have done that. And what I say to my husband is, oh, no problem. I just love being the galley winch to this family. It's what I dreamed of my whole childhood. Someday I'll get to do everybody's laundry and dishes. This is great. Slam. Okay. Sarcasm with a dose of displaced anger. <laughs> well, actually, it's not displaced in that place. Okay. So those are just three examples of the way that we, ways that we express anger in inappropriate ways. Okay. And you can probably think of others, but Jesus didn't do that. Okay. Jesus felt anger and expressed it. Jesus felt sadness. We were just in this passage in John chapter 11 when his friend Lazarus dies and Jesus delays going and Mary's upset with him and Martha's upset with him. And this is the, you know, you can memorize the Bible right now. Jesus wept. Boom, you got a verse memorized in church today. Jesus wept. He was sad. He was heartbroken that his friend Lazarus had died. And his weeping and expression of emotion was so much that the people that were there, they said, see how much he loved this guy? Whoa. Like, they were bros. Like, that was, okay. We're often afraid of sadness in America. Um, There's a lot of cultural stuff in Team America designed to suppress it. But you don't have to apologize for crying. Um, You don't have to. I know I've mentioned that, you know, my kryptonite for me is, is being in the presence of a crying woman, but you know what? You want to cry? Cry in my presence. That's my thing, not yours. <laughs> right? It's okay to cry. It is okay to cry and to be sad. Uh, Jesus felt fear. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus is uh, in the garden, and uh, the, the text tells us this. Um, He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, please, please take this cup of suffering away from me. I want your will to be done, not mine. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell down to the ground like great drops of blood. Jesus felt fear. Um, We tend, by the way, In America, what we tend to do when we're afraid is we try to numb it. So we'll drink and drink and drink, not afraid anymore. We'll binge watch on Netflix, binge watch on Netflix. Okay, after the 622nd episode, I can go to sleep. Like we'll do, we'll work, workaholism. We'll do all of these things to kind of numb the fear that we have, okay? Jesus felt gratitude. This is in Luke chapter 10, the 72 people that he had sent out, the disciples he had sent out had come back. And the scripture says this, at that same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit, filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And he said, oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. It pleased you to do this way. Jesus was exuberant, okay, at the return of the 72 to disciples. If I'm honest, this is one area because I've tended to be over here over-regulation. I've not allowed myself to get excited or happy or joyful about things that I should get excited or joyful or happy about. So in the last run of things, I've been very intentional to be like, yeah, it's awesome. This is great. It's okay to be joyous and to have joy and to express it. Here's the deal. Jesus shed tears. He was filled with joy. He was overwhelmed with grief. 
He was angry. He was distressed. He was sorrowful. He was in trouble. He was moved with compassion. He was amazed. Jesus, I believe, is the most self-aware person who ever lived. He, was, he, he is the kind of human that we need to be. And so to be more like Jesus, I believe, means to become more emotionally self-aware. So in light of that, I want to ask this question. In light of what we see in these snapshots of Jesus' life, in light of Jesus' ability to express his feelings to his closest friends, how would you describe your ability to do the same? How would you describe your ability to do the same? Do you do it easily? Do you do it awkwardly? Do you do it with great difficulty? Or do you do it never? How would you describe your ability to express your feelings to your closest friends, to your family? So let me give a couple of practical things, and then we're going to do an exercise together. What? I know. So first of all, some of all y'all, some of all of us need to change our thinking about emotions. If you grew up Baptist or Catholic or conservative Pentecostal, you may have misunderstood and thought that if you feel something negative, you shouldn't have those feelings at all, ever, okay? And that you had to get rid of it if you were sad or angry or distressed or disappointed. And so uh, some, and some of my Pentecostal friends, if they feel disappointed, they feel like they're sinning. I'm like, but that's how you feel. Well, I'm sinning. <laughs> Whoa, craziness, okay? So you might need to change your thinking about emotions, um, I've, I've, I've had uh, friends who have said, I felt really alone. I just felt like God had abandoned me. And so, Pastor Max, what I need to do is I just need to go back over to those Bible verses that say God is with me. Fact over feeling, fact over feeling. Yes, but if you're denying what you're feeling, you're denying reality. Yes, God is with you even when you don't feel like it, but like you've got to acknowledge what's there, Okay. So the first thing is that some of us might need to change our thinking about emotions or realize that we grew up in a faith tradition that said some emotions are good and some emotions are bad. The second thing is listen to your feelings and listen to God. Emotions are actually a gift from God. They are. Um, and it's good to learn the language of emotions and name them. It's why you'll often feel better when you've talked something out with a friend. Your friend didn't solve your problem right? The relationship that's on the rocks is still on the rocks. You still need $5,000, whatever it is, like, you know, that's still the case. Your circumstances didn't change, but you feel better because now you've been heard and seen and you've been able to express and name what's going on on the inside of you, okay? Uh, and then discern how to grow in love, right? If we're going to love well, it means we're going to become emotionally self-aware. I love this, uh, I love this passage from Cry of the Soul by Dan Allender and Trimper Longman. This is what they say. Ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality, and reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. However, we often turn a deaf ear through emotional denial, distortion, or disengagement. We strain out anything disturbing in order to gain tenuous control of our inner world. We're frightened and ashamed of what leaks into our consciousness. 
in neglecting our intense emotions, we're false to ourselves and lose a wonderful opportunity to know God. We forget that change comes through brutal, honest, and vulnerability before God. You've heard me describe the Psalms this way. The Psalm, the Psalter, so the book of Psalms in your Bible, is really undiluted, raw emotion. Oh God, you're my rock and my deliverer. You're awesome. Oh God, where are you? My enemies are about to snuff out my light and you're nowhere to be seen. Like God, right? It's so unfiltered emotion. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, you led us out of Egypt. You'll always, you'll always be our rock and our redeemer. Like we see this in the book of Job. Job Job gets a raw deal. Can we, can we all agree that Job got a raw deal? <laughs> can I hear an amen? Job got a raw deal. Amen. He got a raw deal. And this is what he says to God. Let the day of my birth be erased and the night I was conceived. Let that day be turned to darkness. Let it be lost even to God on high. Let no light shine on it. Let the darkness and utter gloom claim the day for its own. Let a black cloud overshadow it. If my misery could be weighed and my troubles could be put on scales, they would outweigh all the sands of the sea. That's why I spoke impulsively, for the Lord Almighty has struck me down with his arrows. Their poison infects my spirit. God's terrors are lined up against me. If you don't know this today, I want to remind you that God can take honesty. God is in reality. God deals in reality. God, right? So when you're acknowledging reality in here, all you're getting from heaven is, amen, that's the truth. <laughs> that's what's going on in there. <laughs> yep, you're on it. Good job. <laughs> okay? I'm going to invite our musicians uh, up, and we're going to have a song and some music. But while we're doing this music, I have an assignment for you. And the assignment's very simple. I want you to ask yourself these two questions. How am I feeling right now? How am I feeling right now? Here's what I'm not asking you. I'm not asking you what you're thinking. So go back to the example of uh, the person whose mom treated the other side of the family to Disney World. The thinking part is, my mom needs to be more fair in how she's treating kids. This, you know, that's thinking stuff. Feeling stuff is, I am upset with my mother. <laughs> because she was unfair to me and that hurts. I am angry about this, okay? How am I feeling right now and why do I feel this way, okay? So I'm gonna give you some time. Uh, here's, again, my challenge to you. I want you to become emotionally self-aware, to acknowledge and name what lies beneath the surface. And I'll close with Psalm 62, eight. Oh, my people, trust in him at all times, Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge.